welcome to another episode of Operation Sequel. This time the game is Skyward Sword. Skyward Sword was released in November of 2011 in all regions. Europe did get it a little bit first, like they got it on the 18th and then North America got it on the 20th and then the 23rd for Japan. And finally poor Australia got it on the 24th. A little bit of a different lineup here in terms of the cast. Well not cast, but uh, the people working on it. The director this time is a Hidemaro Fujibayashi, with Eiji Aonuma being in the producer slot this time. Its writers were Naoki Mori and Hidemaru Fujibayashi again. No Koji Kondo at all on the composer list this time. We have a Hajime Wakai, Shiho Fuji, Mahito Yokoto, Takeshi Hama. At least one guy that was on the last one is not on this one. The opening blurb is a little beefy this time, but not really too bad. So here we go. This is a tale that you humans have passed down through uncounted generations. It tells of a war of unmatched scale and ferocity, the likes of which would never be seen again. One dark, fateful day, the earth cracked wide and malevolent forces rushed forth from the fissure. They mounted a brutal assault upon the surface people, driving the land into deep despair. They burnt forests to ash, choked the land's sweet springs, and murdered without hesitation. They did all this in their lust to take the ultimate power protected by her grace, the goddess. The power she guarded was without equal, handed down by the gods of old. This power gave its holder the means to make any desire a reality. Such was the might of the ultimate power that the old ones placed it in the care of the goddess. To prevent this great power from falling into the hands of the evil swarming the lands, the goddess gathered the surviving humans on an outcropping of earth. She sent it skyward, beyond the reach of the demonic hordes, beyond even the clouds. With the humans safe, the goddess joined forces with the land dwellers and fought the evil forces, stealing them away. At last, peace was restored to the surface. This is a tale that you humans have told for many ages, generation to generation. But there are other legends, long hidden away from memory, that are intertwined with this tale. Now, a new legend bound to this great story stands ready to be revealed. A legend that will be forged by your own hand, and thank you, Craig, for that beep. I should really learn to turn my thing down before I record. So a little bit of my history with this game. I played it once, and to be honest, I don't even know if I finished it or not. I can't remember. The ending looked familiar, but it, I don't remember if it maybe it was something that I checked up on a YouTube and just watched the ending, because I was incredibly frustrated with this game the first time I played it. In case you didn't know, it is almost Nintendo's showcase for motion controls. More so than most other Nintendo games I've played. And I'll touch a little bit more on that later. In the grand scale of playing all the console Zelda games that I was doing, this was the one I dreaded the most. Even more than the N64 games, and even more than like the NES ones. I am not a giant fan of motion controls, and when it's done... As, I don't want to say slapdash, but they're not very accurate, the Wiimotes. You can generally get by with swinging it around like an idiot, even with the Wii Motion Plus. And I guess over the course of the show, I'll let you know how it fares with this. I wasn't sure if I was having a little bit of problems. Was it my old Wiimote? So I did buy a new Wiimote just for this. It's the one with the Motion Plus included in it. And... I believe that was absolutely needed for this. As a matter of fact, if you would like a good laugh, at the beginning of the game you can click these instruction videos where they're showing people how to plug in a nunchuck. 
kind of like the uh, Super Mario Galaxy 2 video showing you how to play. Almost intelligence insulting. But yes, this is a nunchuck and Wiimote only game. Now, I don't know how this fares compared to something like Twilight Princess if you played it on the Wii, because I always played it on GameCube and now later, you know, the Wii U. But I'd like to get a few of the story things out of the way first, because that's not really what I want to focus on. I would like to focus on more about how the game plays. So just really quick, little bits about the story that I enjoyed. This game is not like any other Zelda game. It really isn't. Like, Wind Waker was a branch of a Zelda game, and Twilight Princess was a branch of a Zelda game. This is unlike any Zelda game so far. Like, you can't point to an older one and say, oh, this is kind of like this, but just updated. There are a couple of firsts for this series, which is kind of, I didn't think it would be this late, but it's the first time you ever hear somebody sing lyrics to a song. And while you don't get actual voice acting, you do get the Animal Crossing... It's also the first one that actually offered dialogue options, and they don't change very much, but there's a good portion of dialogue choices you can make. They always give you three choices, and it's much better than like the yes-no that was in Ocarina of Time. Another thing I like is that Zelda is a big part of this one. It's not just the she's the end MacGuffin you have to get. The beginning of the game you actually spend with Zelda, and they've made her a pretty good character. Like, you actually care about Zelda by the time it comes to rescue her. The scenes with Link and Zelda, even though Link doesn't talk, they made them charming as a couple to where you care about them. Whereas before, it was always just, I, I guess they end up together. Kind of like Peach and Mario in the older games. Here, they actually show them together, uh, alone together, with other people together, and their chemistry works. I like that a little bit. They also add a bunch of new races, which is was sorely needed. I mean, while, you know, Gorons and the Zora are classic races, the ones they added are... I, I kind of like them, especially those little robot guys that you run into from the past that you have to, you know, use the crystals to get... The, anyway, yeah, I really like those guys. They added a bunch of new designs that you hadn't seen before. Like the, the, well, the one giant acorn fuzzy guy. I forget his name. But there's that whole race of them that are in Farron Woods. Another thing is they dropped that ultra-realistic look for the people. And so the visual design for the people, especially... I'm sorry, I can't remember Zelda's father's name. And now it begins with a G, but I just can't remember it. I like his design quite a bit. Like, it ranks up there with Wind Waker. Although, I'm sorry, that's more on the actual, like, gameplay end of it. We'll get back to that. I would like to state here that... And we'll also touch on this in the gameplay. Fee, or Fi, I don't quite know how to pronounce it, is a very bad addition to the story. She's constantly telling you things that you really either don't care about or you already knew. And again, we'll touch on this because this game is over-tutorialized to hell and back. There are some cool scenes with her, like every time you placed one of the special MacGuffins that you get, uh, you get new lyrics to a song or a new song and she sings it technically while it's showing a pretty nice scene. And, and while they wanted them to feel special, they did get old after a while, only because you're really starting to build animosity towards Fee, which maybe I'll call her Fi. I'm not sure, but that's who I mean. 
the blue girl. This is also a game, much like Majora's Mask, where Ganon does not appear. There are light story touches that talk about Ganon, but the main bad guy here, Girahim, he's, he's kind of like the Kefka for Zelda. He's supposed to be played a little bit on the insane side, and it does work a little bit here, because, you know, he comes up and he's just a wall every once in a while that you gotta get. Like, that first boss fight, again, mainly on the gameplay side, took me quite a while to get. I guess the big bombshell here that I haven't said yet is this is technically the first game in the Zelda timeline. There are, I don't want to spoil it in case that is important to somebody, but there are ties as to why Zelda is what she is and why there are certain things that happen. I don't want to spoil it, but it's an old game, so I'm kind of caught down the middle, which is also why I'm avoiding a lot of the story. Um, there are some side characters that I kind of like. like I kind of like Groose, even though he's a bit too anime annoying for me at times. For the most part, I think he worked well as a character. And on the story as a whole, I didn't think it was too bad. Like, I think it did the whole time traveling thing a little bit better than Ocarina of Time did. Now, granted, that game is old, so I can't really say, you know, haha, this, that was a bad one compared to this. It's two different flavors, really. Like, in this, you're hopping back to the past quite a bit, especially when it comes to dealing with bosses. And I'm sorry if I'm really vague or not. But uh, let's talk about the bosses, right? Like, the big one in this that I took away from was... I liked the, the giant ball of Molten Rock. That was a really good boss. That was a nice visual design for the usual huck the bombs in the mouth, wait for it to explode, then hit it once or twice kind of thing. I do want to talk about the bosses from a gameplay perspective. Now I forgot where I was. Oh, oh, the bosses. Yeah, there there are, you will be fighting one or two bosses more than once, Girahim being one, and the giant big black thing, which, hold on, let me get the name of that. There we go. The Imprisoned. You will be fighting some more than once due to how the storyline jumps between past and present but you know what i'm gonna leave it alone that's the story if you would like to see an interesting zelda story with time travel that is the beginning of the storyline then go ahead and play this but that's that's where i'm gonna leave it oh uh one last thing i do like that there are places that are named after what you know of later then that's incredibly vague but you have like the the Farron woods or you have the Lanayru desert and you know those names because you've played other Zelda games, and it's nice to see, oh, this might be where those names originate from. Now, off of the story, because if you're listening to this, you're probably interested in Zelda, the gameplay is what I was dreading the most. And let's start at the beginning, right? So Nintendo wanted it to be almost a one-to-one -one reproduction of your movements on the screen with Link's sword. Now, I will say for most things, this works fine. So if you're just, you know, swiping a Boblin or, or a Deku plant, that works fine. And you know what? It's actually fun. Especially when you get to things like the blobs and you, you cut them in half and they split apart and then you've got to sl slash both of them. I meant to say swipe and slash at the same time there. That is a lot of fun. In just your overworld killing baddies, that works. The only time it really started to fall down was what I think the downfall of most motion things is when they ask for precision. Like the first fight against Girahim, right? He follows your blade as you move it one-to-one. -one. And 
if you swing where his hand is, he will catch the blade, and if you don't, you know, pull it away from him, he will smack you on the head. But the problem was, you're supposed to hold it to the left, say, for a little bit, right? No, left, not right. And then he will keep his hand to the left for a couple seconds because he thinks that's where you're going to hit from, and they want you to very quickly swing from the right. Now, the problem is the Wiimote is not that sensitive, so any movement tends to just set it off. And so bosses like that can be a bit hard. There are also bosses or enemies that require you to slash in a very certain direction. If you've played it, think of Dragon Quest Swords for the Wii. And it kind of has that same exact kind of frustration. Like sometimes getting it to register a thrust was a really major annoyance. If that was it, that would be perfectly fine. You would be have a perfectly serviceable even good Zelda game with some minor control niggles, right? But they went a bit overboard. Everything in this game is motion controlled. When you're flying on the big bird, that's motion controlled. Didn't have to be. It's not like there's more immersion with you twisting the Wiimote. Or when you're doing puzzles, you have to thrust and then twist. It, it, I don't find that very immersive. Even swimming, all right? Swimming. There is no way they can argue that swimming with motion controls, just tilting the Wiimote, is more immersive than using a stick. There were many times that I just wish they would let me use the stick. But there are also some fun enemies that are, I'll admit it, they're, they're kind of fun to fight with motion, like Skotellas. You have to hit them with a horizontal slash to spin them around, and then, of course, they're swinging back and forth like a pendulum. And the only way to hit them at that point is to do a thrust. Now, that would be very fun, and it was fun when it went off without a hitch. But a lot of times, you'll go for a thrust, and it'll do an upward strike, or it'll do a sideways slash. I could have said horizontal there, but sideways, for some reason, sounded better. It's kind of a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag that is more bad than good but when it is good it's fun now i did play this in fits and spurts so i don't know if it would have been better or worse if you were playing for an extended period of time but i tried everything in the book to get it to one-to-one -one register it works fine if you're moving slow but the problem is when you think of like a bad analog stick if you slap it to the left really quick it will have some swing back to the right. It doesn't just go left and then center. So a lot of times if you're doing a right horizontal slash, you'll also get a left horizontal slash afterwards even if you didn't input that. Off of the motion controls, but and that is the major part of this, there are a lot of signs of Nintendo not trusting its audience here, especially in terms of intelligence. Number one is of course Phi. She is constantly, like, you thought that maybe the King of Red Sails was bad. Or, you know, even, heaven forbid, Navi. Fi is way worse than Navi. Like, there are buzzers going off when your health is low anyway, because it's a Zelda game. But then there is the prompt to talk to her. You hit the button thinking, okay, maybe she's going to help or something. And no, it's just a prompt to say your health is low. Except it stops gameplay and you have to read it, this incredibly slow text crawl. Or there are times where you get a sailcloth 
to, you know, uh, kind of like a Deku Leaf, just makes you fall slower, but you can't really control it. Think more of just a straight down parachute. And when you enter a new area, you do so from the sky. And so you have to open your parachute to land. Me being curious, I didn't open my parachute. Nothing happens, it opens automatically. And if a game gives you a button prompt and tells you you have to do this, when you don't do it, I believe there should be some kind of consequence. The fact that it opens automatically means there is now no point to having this button mapped to this action at all. That bugged me quite a bit. And then there's the um, just my general overall problems with the nunchuck and Wiimote. In the, now, I haven't played Metroid Prime Trilogy with the Wiimote, so I don't know how that works in first person. That might work a little better. But the fact that there is no camera control at all drove me up a wall. Like, you can do a little bit with the C-Stick, and of course, if you tap the, the Z-Trigger on the nunchuck, it'll center the camera behind you. But there were a lot of times you just wanted to turn the camera and then to have to hold the C-Button, move a little bit to the right, just got really annoying. And that's kind of my problem with most Wii games, is camera control is now out the window. It's gone. Another thing is the Wiimote's design, it meant to hold it like a remote. The problem is they've got things like the one and the two button, and if you have smaller hands, even the plus and the minus, that you won't be able to hit without absolutely changing the way you hold the joystick. That's why most N64 games with that really weird awkward controller never asked you to use both the D-pad side of things and the middle side of things. Unless, you know, it was for a menu that you can hit when you're not fighting or something like that. And it feels awkward to have to go all the way down to the one and the two sometimes to switch things around because then you have to readjust the way you're holding the Wiimote. Then that throws the Wiimote out of whack and you've got to recalibrate it. It's just a bit of a pain in the ass. Now, I didn't have the disc version of this because I sold it at some point. So I did end up purchasing the eShop version for the Wii U. And I was kind of excited because now I get to see it in HD. This does not exactly translate very well to HD in terms of visuals. I think the visual design is really nice. Like, I like the way the game looks. But everything looks pixelated. Which is weird for a 3D game. Everything kind of has fuzzy edges. It just does not look nice. So if you are going to go that route, do keep that in mind. But the visual design of almost everything is, is thumbs up. It's A+. I really like the way this game looks. Another thing that this game gets right straight off the bat is there are new items. Like in the first temple, you do get some old standbys, but they are not exactly out of ideas on what to give you anymore. Like they give you a bunch of new items and there's new ways to use them. Like, the one I enjoyed using the most, and I, I think actually worked with the most controls, was the beetle. At first, it's just a beetle to scout around and look around and cut some scatella webs and stuff. But then you can upgrade it, which is another new thing that is amazingly smart. Uh, but anyway, back to the beetle. Then they give you where it's got pincers on the end and you can pick up certain items with them. And there's some puzzles you have to solve that way. But back to, okay, back to the upgrades. They finally found a way to reward players for finding this out-of-the-way chest, and it's not just rupees or, God forbid, Miiverse stamps. There is, I wouldn't say it's robust, but there would be a point to going and getting a lot of these upgrade materials, which some are rarer than others, 
like and what they do is for instance your slingshot after you upgrade it it becomes almost a shotgun and it takes older stuff that you don't really use the equipment that's become obsoleted and changes it in some way to make it if not useful then at least a utility item and that's a brilliant move and i'm actually looking forward to breath of the wild now because that might be in that not sure I've told Craig to shut up about Breath of the Wild until I play it. So this is A-plus in that regard as well. Another thing that I wasn't a big fan of in the beginning, but as the game progressed, I started to like the idea of, is the dash gauge. Now when you're doing any action that requires physical exertion, like pushing or pulling a block or climbing up things, you have a gauge. Now there are these little green plants that as soon as you touch it, your gauge is back to full and they place these fairly generously. It added some thought sometimes into climbing things, like do I just jump up to the top or do I have enough stamina to do that? It added a little bit of thought to it. Nothing you know, major like say Shadow of the Colossus or anything, but it, it worked. It made you think every once in a while. Uh, also with making Link more acrobatic, it made exploring things more fun. And when I say exploring, I don't mean explore in the way of every past Zelda game. This is not necessarily an open world. This is more... Well, first, you don't go to areas anymore like you did in Twilight Princess or Wind Waker or Majora's Mask or any of those. You now pick where you want to go off of the hub, which is Skyworld. Then you are dropped down, and it's not like you can get to L the Linnaeu Desert from Farron Woods because it is its self-enclosed area. And now that these things are self-enclosed areas, they feel different and more designed. They don't feel as much like, well, this is just a giant open field. Okay, I guess that'll work. They don't feel like, in Twilight Princess, some of those places felt like nothing more than connecting hallways. And you don't have to worry about that here because everything is a self-designed enclosed area. And they are also very generous with the warp points that they give you. The warp points are also the save points in this, so they kind of have to be generous with it. But I like that style of design a little bit more than I liked the older Zelda design. Even, even Wind Waker, where Wind Waker had its kind of self-enclosed islands, you still had the travel time that could get boring. Whereas in this, you pick where you want to go and you go there. I like that. That being said, Breath of the Wild, from what I've heard, doesn't do that anymore, so we'll have to see how that works. All in all, this is a game that I kind of wish Zelda would have... Zelda? Yes, because he's in charge of Nintendo. I wish Nintendo would have redone this on the Wii, if they would have taken out everything motion-controlled but the sword, or given you an option. That would have been even better. You know what? Give you an option to use sword or some other method. I don't know how they would have done like I want a horizontal slash, I want a vertical slash. Less awkward than it was already. Like that was in the older games but it was a little awkward if you wanted to choose a specific strike. But yeah it makes me kind of sad that it's stuck in this motion control kind of fad because I think this might be one of the better Zelda games. It's important because it takes place at the beginning of the storyline if you're into that kind of story. It's also an evolution of ideas that had become stagnant. And whereas something like Wind Waker was kind of an evolutionary dead end, like you couldn't go much further than Wind Waker, and they tried to go further than Majora's Mask 
not Majora's Mask, I'm sorry, Ocarina of Time with Twilight Princess, and you couldn't go much further than that. Like, I, I don't see very many ideas they could have taken further than Twilight Princess. This feels new, and I was very excited to play it, actually, once I finally, you know, cracked into it. Zelda's not a franchise that gets a lot of new ideas. This, plus Breath of the Wild, might be, excuse the word usage here, might be a breath of fresh air for the Zelda franchise. Like, I'm more hopeful going into Breath of the Wild than I've been for any Zelda game that I hadn't played. My final thoughts would be, give it a shot. Even if you just read a plot synopsis or you just watch videos of it because maybe you're like me or, you know, most of the people that I've talked to and you don't like motion controls, that will stop you. That is a giant barrier to, to ward off everybody but the most determined people. So even if you bounce off of that barrier, uh, make sure you check it out. Check out the plot synopsis. Check out some videos to see what it looks like. And well, there is no end at the end of that. So yeah, make sure you check it out. It's worth your time. Especially since, you know, it's interesting because this isn't a whole, not a whole new crew, but a pretty much new crew. So it, this plus Breath of the Wild will give you a bit of insight on what might be coming up for the future of Zelda. Now, the next game we have to play is Final Fantasy VIII. And as I've said on the Final Fantasy VII podcast, I kind of played Final Fantasy VIII around the same time I played Final Fantasy VII. I don't remember very much at all. I remember Eyes on Me, I remember Squall being a broody lump, and I remember he gets hit in the shoulders. Like, I remember very, very, like, I don't remember much about the gameplay. I remember there's a draw system. I don't quite remember how that works, and I remember there's a junctioning system, kind of like 6, where it affects your stats. But again, I don't remember the finer details, and I don't remember much of the story at all. I just remember moments. So, we'll have to see how that goes. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me or anybody else on the BitEffect crew, uh, you can hit us up on Gmail, Facebook, or Twitter, all at the BitEffect. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Final Fantasy VIII.